Welcome to the NFL Draft Review edition of Unexpected Points. We're going to go through all of the analytics takes on this best and worst drafts, which will differ quite a bit from what you're seeing out there in the media, plus any other storylines that are going on in the NFL, including quarterbacks falling, 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 and what happened there. All that and more on this edition of Unexpected Points. Welcome, welcome, everyone. The draft is over. We've all survived. We survived the lead up to the draft. Probably was the most difficult and trying times of our lives, as usual. The rumor mill, the confidence of reports, the, you know, I, I feel somewhat bad for guys who are living that insider, supposed insider life. For instance, um, I'm not going to name the gentleman, but there was someone, you know, who says, I have very strong information that the Detroit Lions, their board, it has Trayvon Walker, number one, and Kayvon Thibodeau, number two. And everyone moves off of that. Everyone thought, oh, my God, is is um, Aiden Hutchinson going to fall to fourth, potentially, with Derek Stingley looking like such a likelihood for the Texans? And then the draft starts. Trayvon Walker is picked first, as suspected, and then the Lions literally sprint in their card. The the fastest uh, top five pick I've maybe ever seen in my life to get Aiden Hutchinson, how quickly they moved on that, knowing what they were going to do, not drawing it out, not even entertaining trade offers, not even thinking, you know what, let's let a few minutes go off of the clock and see if someone may be into it. No, they were so pumped to make that pick immediately. Uh, flying in the face of reports that it would be the, the opposite on there. And it's just like, I don't mind people saying, hey, I got some information that says X. The problem is when you say, I have some very strong information or, you know, high level sort of stuff. And you say things with this definitive manner. Now, of course, saying things in a definitive manner makes a lot better radio, makes a lot better TV, makes a lot better podcasting, probably. So maybe that's why... Uh, my audience is as big <laughs> as I as I think it should be, but it doesn't make for very good predictions. And this is something that uh, I talked about a couple of weeks ago when it came to quarterback evaluation and why it's difficult. It's a it's a difficult thing to turn a evaluation into a prediction. And sometimes experts are the worst on it. In fact, you know, there's a whole book written on this uh, called Super Forecasting uh, about how Experts are worse on average than just throwing darts in most circumstances. And in this circumstance, when it comes to the NFL draft, it would be worse than just going off of what the consensus big board is or what the betting markets are telling you, things like that. And those that make the most declarative statements are normally the worst uh, of decision makers. So we all... You know, we all probably got okie doked on a few of the stories this year of what would end up happening. Uh, the quarterbacks being being one of them. Although I have a I have a little bit of a different theory on the quarterbacks that I'll I'll jump into as I get into the team by team breakdown. But you know, every year we go through this. Every year we get back into it. So let's just be thankful we're done with rumor season, inside information season, where most of it's wrong and there are no repercussions at all for anyone making 
a proclamation that ends up being untrue as long as they sound pretty good the next year when they do the same exact thing. Okay, so what I'm going to do here, break down the top drafts. Then I'm going to go to a, to a different subsection. This is what would be a little bit different about this podcast versus others is I'm going to look at drafts that have been very highly rated, but I view them a little bit more poorly. And I'm going to try not to be too harsh here because I think it's hard to be overly pumped about any team's NFL draft when you're like me and you probably put the least value on getting a really great player, getting a steal in the draft. And a lot of people, that's what they put the highest value on is getting steals because I believe that steals don't really exist as much as potentially reaches will exist. So when I'm rating these teams, the metrics that I'm going to have, again, it's going to differ so much from what you're normally hearing out there that my rankings are going to be so different, at least overall so different, maybe not on a team-by-team basis, that I'm going to want to explain some of that by looking at some of the top-graded teams and why I wouldn't have them as high. So let me just lay out here my rubric for drafting. I have three main factors that are going to go into it. And again, the ranking I have of these factors, the weight, the importance, is probably the reverse of how your normal draft grading analyst, draft evaluator analyst will look at these things. And I'm going to go in reverse order here. So number three is the value, the quote-unquote value that you got on draft picks, meaning in my the way that I calculate it out, and I'm going to do this in a very strict numerical basis to try to get teams to identify to dig into further. The way that I calculate it out is I look at what the war value would be. So the wins above replacement value, that's how we, we measure the different picks. You know, so the, the first overall pick has a war value of, this is like war over some other sort of player that you already had on the roster. It has a war value, I think, around 1.5. And then the last pick in the NFL draft is like 0.04 or something like that. And it goes down very quickly, of course, in the, in the first and, and second round. So the way that I'm going to look at it is the war value that you gain by getting quote-unquote values or steals uh, in the NFL draft that war value would be the value of the pick based upon their consensus big board ranking. And this is a consensus big board that comes out from Arif Hassan every year. 300 players are ranked on there. It has something like 70, 80 different big boards that go into this to rank these different players. So it's going to be ranking on that consensus big board and then the pick value there versus the actual NFL pick and the pick value there. And if you're getting a player after where their consensus big board ranking is. So you're getting a better player according to the consensus big board than the draft pick that you're using. You're accumulating that value, that differential value. So that's going to be the third thing that goes in my calculation. And it's the lowest. I discount that the most heavily because it's much more difficult to get a value than to, than for a team to reach in order for a team to reach on a player only one team needs to be wrong. If that player drafts a player around earlier than they should be drafted, they're the only one who needs to be wrong in order to do that because they're the one that turns in the card. You just need one team to make that mistake. For a player to be a value, depending upon where you're being drafted, 
you need if you're if your value let's say as a player taken 10 picks later than what their consensus big board ranking is concerned well you need nine teams to have passed on that 10 teams to have passed on that all 10 of those teams to be incorrect in their ranking for this player and yeah some of it's going to be based on need teams are going to pass based on need but in the nfl draft really you know needs based drafting is a is a very big mistake i feel most of the time uh teams that you think don't have any needs maybe the bills fall into that a little bit this year and i'll, and I'll get to that can often make mistakes by drafting around that and then you find out a year or two later like when the Chiefs drafted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire a couple of years ago in the first round because they didn't have any glaring needs. Then a couple of years later, they got needs all over the place that they need to fill. So for that reason, when teams are passing on a player, it's generally because they've, they have a different opinion than you do. So each team that passes is makes it less and less likely you're actually getting at least that level of value. So I'm going to give about 20%. I'm going about 20% of that war value. I'm going to say for when you're getting a player after where their consensus big board ranking is. And there's also additional context for some of these that I'll discuss where there are injuries involved or medicals that are probably the reasons that certain guys fell. Uh, I mean, Justin Ross was not even drafted. So he would have been a guy who fell into that, into that category. Nicobe Dean is probably a guy who falls into that category a little bit as someone who fell because of medicals. And that's something that isn't reflected enough in, in the consensus big boards. Okay, so that's that's the third factor I'm bringing in. Again, that would be number one on a lot of player, a lot of people's boards. Um, the second factor is what I talked about earlier: reaching. So negative reaching. So again, the same formula where if someone I'm looking at their their war value based upon their draft pick versus their war value based upon the consensus big board. When you're reaching, you're spending more with the actual draft pick than what the big board says they're worth in war value. So the differential between those two is a negative. I'm not going 100% though on that. I'm not going to give you all negative on that because teams know things that we don't know. We have to have some humility here. Let's not think that the wisdom of crowds is necessarily better than what's going on in the NFL because of these things I've talked about, because of medicals, because of maybe character sort of issues that we don't know about, because of talking to coaches and other practice habits that are going on, whatever else may be happening and that these teams are collecting data that we don't know about. Because of that, we can't fully penalize teams for reaches, at least in our mind. So I'm going to do 80% there. Remember, only to 20%. I'm only giving 20% of the value for when you are getting a steal in the draft, but I'm going to give you 80% of the damage for reaching. And then the last thing, the number one thing for me, and again, this is something that probably isn't factored in nearly at all in a lot of NFL draft analysis. The number one thing for me is war value that you accumulated via trading during draft week too. I'm all, I'm, I'm during the draft. I'm only going to do during the draft because we've already analyzed ad nauseum, the trades that happened before the draft the trades that, you know, the Jamal Adams trade, for instance, was still part of this draft and what the Jets are going to do. I gave the, the Jets the praise for making that trade a couple of years ago when it happened. I'm not going to continue to lavish and give them full percent, full credit for everything that went on there. That's also a part of a lot of people's draft grades is there. They get wowed by these, you know, these these draft classes like the Jets draft class because it's there's so much talent they're bringing in. But they had the, you know, they had the most draft capital going into the NFL draft. So 
we shouldn't how much double credit do we want to give I, i'm deciding to not give credit for stuff that happened before the draft but i will give full 100 percent credit for war accumulation during the draft via trade and again for war accumulation here i'm just going to look at the war value of the pick that you gave up versus the war value of the picks that you got back in return and for the most part Trading down is going to get you incremental war value. I'm going to give teams 100% credit for that because that is what I'm most certain of is that you're actually getting value on these trades. So again, war value on trades, number one. Number two is a, p- a penalty for reaching. And then number three is a very small benefit for getting values in the NFL draft. And what I'm also going to try not to do, and I mentioned this someone with, with, with the Jets and this comes at big players, try not to give too much credit to teams that just have large draft classes, a large capital. I'm going to weight this versus how much total draft capital that they had to spend going into the NFL draft. So if you had a ton of draft capital to spend and you got a little bit of a positive value, according to my numbers, that isn't going to be as impressive to me as a team that had not as much draft capital to spend coming in and then got a lot of positive value versus the rest of the league going into this. Okay. Laid it all out for you here. And before I get into the best teams. Let's start positive. Before I get into the best teams, I want to let you know that there is a 25% off deal for any PFF subscription. Use code unexpected. Show some love for the pod. Get all this great PFF info. Get my updated dynasty quarterback. I'm not sorry. Um, running back and wide receiver rankings that I'm going to have. My models are going to come out pretty soon. I looked at the opportunity scores or the opportunity for all the different players in the first, second, and third round and a few different pieces. All that'll be out by tomorrow. So, you know, five different pieces of content within the first couple of days, just from me. Um, And then digging into more of these different concepts, please do that unexpected promo code, unexpected PFF.com. Get all of that available to you. All right. The best drafts. This is one that agrees, I would say, with what the consensus is saying on this one, and that is the Baltimore Ravens, number one, and I don't think it's particularly close. There's a great article that you should also check out for additional context on here in Peter King, PK, as I like to say, Uh, PK has his Football Morning in America article out where he was embedded with the Ravens during the draft, I believe only for the fourth round. He goes through the fourth round picks there. Interesting nuggets in there about how the Ravens looked to accumulate third and fourth round picks. Now they do that almost every year because they get additional compensatory picks, but they also traded back. And I'll talk about that in order to get more of those, those picks. So look to accumulate third, fourth, fifth round picks because they thought this draft, while thin up top, maybe thin for top 10 pick sort of players would be a little bit deeper because a lot of players delayed declaring after having shortened COVID seasons last year. And I don't think that's just theoretical. I think that's definitely true. Uh, One of the biggest data points that we have to point to that being true is the fact that the average prospect age this season. So the average declare age this season, I believe was 20 four years old versus it having been 23 years old in the past. And those are pretty old ages because we have a lot of guys on the old, old side. But still, it's a year differential. There's something that's happening. There's something that's happened, I should say, where last year, a lot of guys who were on the margins decided to wait 
to go to the to the next year. Maybe it was a mistake for some of these guys because it's so much deeper this year. So I, I think there is something to that strategy. And again, it's another way of thinking for the Ravens where you just have to be patient. Patience pays off. And maybe maybe that patience will pay off even more than usual this year. So let, let's go through my, again, my rubric for figuring these things out. First of all, the Marquise Brown trade, I think there's, it's pretty difficult to figure out any way to say that that was not a huge win. Um, they basically hold Brown as a mid twenties pick for a few years and then trade him out for another mid twenties pick the, that is hedged a little bit by the fact that they had to give up a pick later, uh, in the third round, I think in order to get that back, but still great trade, hard to argue with it being much of an issue. I know Lamar Jackson is not exactly thrilled about it, but again, trade value accumulation is pretty big right there. And I think when I discussed the first round for what the Ravens did, I was a little bit probably too, not negative on it, but I was trying to discount the credit that they deserve for uh, not reaching and for getting value picks. So they're the best by far. If you look at teams that did not reach, I don't think they reached on any of their picks, maybe a slight reach in the fourth round. We're talking about taking a punter, which, you know, maybe it was a little bit weird. I'll admit that. Um, but I'm not going to kill an entire draft for the fact that you took a punter in one round. So they had these huge values on Kyle Hamilton. They had huge value on uh, Tyler Lindenbaum. Uh, they had pretty big values on some other guys. And I think I was a little bit too negative talking about the positional value differences. You know, the fact that Linderbaum in, in particular will be treated on the fifth year option and on a franchise tag, if it comes down to it, will be treated like any offensive lineman. So they kind of are, are put on par with offensive tackles. So that gives you a little bit less, um, that gives you a little bit less certainty on there. Um, but you know, I, I will mention about this, and I think additional context, which which puts the Ravens draft in a little bit better position for these first, especially these first couple of picks when it comes to Hamilton, a safety, and Linderbaum, a center, is that while they, a lot of the, the value I'm assuming that they're gaining is versus big boards that do not account enough for positional value, still, when we look at their over-unders coming into the draft for their draft position, which do account for positional value much more. The DraftKings over-unders coming into this. I mean, Hamilton's over-under was 12 and a half, so they ended up getting him after 12 and a half. And it was 57% uh, implied probability to the under. So they get Hamilton at 14. So they're getting value not only versus the fourth rank that he had in big boards, but they're also getting value versus where he's expected to go based upon people actually placing bets on these things. Um, for Linderbaum, they get him at 25. Now, that is a little bit before his over-under line at 27 and a half, but not drastically so. And, of course, his ranking was 14th on big boards. I think that's too high. So, again, that's why I'm not giving a lot of credit necessarily for these steals here. But another key here is that they were at 23, you know, after this, uh, this, this Brown trade. And they traded down only two picks with the Buffalo Bills. And they picked up about a tenth of a win in war. Which means that if you build that that win that they got there, 
So again, sometimes it's it's not about making every single pick in some sort of way when it comes to Linderbaum and others in a perfect sort of manner, which is difficult on the outside to figure out what is perfect and what isn't versus what's on the inside. But sometimes it's about giving yourself more margin for error. So when they do that trade down before they take Linderbaum, yeah, maybe they're not getting the best value on him, taking him at 25, but the war value that they got on there was the equivalent of moving down about 10 spots. So it's like they're taking him in the mid thirties more. So if you count what they earned on the trade back right before that. So again, giving yourself more margin for error. And that's what the Ravens did there with, with that trade back. And if you look at the rest of their picks, yeah, Stout is the one that people are going to crush, and I, and I get it. Uh, he's the worst value pick that we're talking about here from any other player. But a lot of these other guys were were strong values for them. Again, I'm discounting that a lot, but I'm not going to discount it fully for what they did. And I think also when it comes to Kyle Hamilton, I mean, I'll give an example here. Um, when it comes to Linderbaum and when it comes to Hamilton is both times – these guys said, we're going to be the patient ones here. The Eagles traded up to get above the Ravens to go take Jordan Davis, who they may have thought the Ravens were, were going to take. And the Ravens said, you know what? Fine. Rather than picking Davis, who is, you know, maybe he's got extreme upside as a prospect, but he's definitely not a smash value in that sort of range. At least, at least that's what the market's telling us. And again, if you're a better evaluator than the NFL, a better evaluator than all the consensus big boards, a better evaluator than anyone else on the planet, maybe I'm wrong, right? But the Ravens said, no, we're going to stick here. We're going to, and then we're just going to scoop up Hamilton at an even better value, which they did. Same thing again with Linderbaum. We're going to trade back a little bit and scoop up value even more so there. So they, they got one of the highest returns in trade value back plus one of the best numbers as far as steals versus reaches in the draft. And that puts them right up at the top, not to mention the fact of these mid round picks that they accumulated, which could have a little bit of extra juice this year uh, following a COVID season with so many teams declaring. So the Ravens are number one on my, on my board. And I, this is a teardrop. There's a teardrop after this. I have a few other teams that fall in, but I don't quite know where to put them because According to the metrics, they look pretty good, this this system that I've devised for these three different areas that are coming in there. But how much credit do they get versus other versus other teams? Okay, so the first one, and I'm just going to go over it quickly. Again, I'm not really going to have rankings for the rest of them. But I'm just going to put them more in the bucket of good draft. So the first one I'm going to have is um, the Carolina Panthers. Now, the Panthers, again, the fact that Iki Kwanu fell to them at six, and again, offensive tackle for, for me is a really good position. If you're going to draft someone in the top 10, you know, I'm not thrilled about anyone being drafted in the top 10. They probably couldn't trade out of that sixth pick. As we saw, no one was dying to trade up to get um, quarterback play there. So in order to get an offensive tackle and tackle being outside of quarterback, the one position that's hardest to acquire a top player in free agency. You can trade for maybe Laramie Tunsil or someone like that. Again, a huge cause. It was multiple first round picks, right? For, for, for Tunsil, but you just can't find these guys in free agency. So securing one in the draft is one of the best places to go. If you're going to have to go with a pick early outside of quarterback. So the fact they got him 
lot of that is you can call it luck. The fact that a couple of cornerbacks went earlier and then ended up falling. They had their choice of everyone. He would have been at least my favorite guy to take in that in that range. So they took him and that was that was good. Now, their best value pick here is Matt Corral. And Corral was 44th ranked on the consensus big boards. And normally consensus big boards are too low on quarterbacks. Almost always, not almost always, that, that, that's an overstatement. I would say 75% of the time, maybe 80% of the time, quarterbacks go earlier than their consensus big board ranking. If it's someone who is ranked in the top 50, 60 players, like all these quarterbacks were. The fact that these quarterbacks went later and so much later is a complete anomaly. I mean, drafted 94th versus 44 on the consensus big board. Huge difference. And then when you add factor in the quarterback, you know, the quarterback factor, which gives more value to that pick, that ends up giving you some decent juice here for the Panthers, despite the fact, again, I'm not giving too much credit for getting quote unquote steals, but you have to give some credit for that. They didn't trade up. They waited patiently. So for them, if you would have said going into this draft, you can't really trade down that well from six. It's hard. They were calling everyone. You don't have a second pick. You don't have a second round pick. Um, you don't. So you're you're a little bit stuck there. You don't have a third round pick. You don't have a fourth round pick. What are you going to do there? Um, actually, I'm sorry. They, they did trade up to get to get Corral here. So they, they trade up. They give up a future third. But again, the value that they ended up losing on that one is not that that big, really. It's, you know, it's something, but it's not that significant. And they got the quarterback. So if you just said, OK, we're going to give up a future third round pick on this and we're going to acquire our number one offensive tackle and a quarterback who I actually thought was the top quarterback in the class and probably has the second best chance of starting early after Kenny Pickett because of the fact there's Sam Darnold is the guy there and they don't really have much incentive if you're at Carolina for playing Sam Darnold throughout the whole season because then what are you going to do sign him to a big contract if he plays well so I think Corral has a great chance to go in there and be productive immediately that, I mean, that, that's a slam dunk draft for you after that. And then the players they took after that were kind of middling values. But the fact that they were able to secure those two at the top, I'm going to give them a decent grade. I know they didn't have a lot of draft capital going into this. The trade-up is fine in this circumstance. Um, and, you know, they, they took advantage of this, this musical chairs that was going on with, with quarterbacks and no one being out there for them. Another team that I think had a good draft, uh, the Cleveland Browns. Browns, again, a team that did not have a ton of draft capital because of the Deshaun Watson trade. So they didn't have a ton of draft capital. They traded back with the Texans and got some some value as part of the deal where they traded away their pick in the middle of the their second round pick, where Maybe you could say, oh, they could have gotten, you know, Sky Moore. They could have gotten someone else at that point. Yeah, that's true. But they were well within that second tier of wide receivers that decided to trade back at that point. So they did. Um, they ended up getting David Bell with their 99th pick overall. And I think David Bell is an underrated player. He's a little bit of value, according to the big board. And he's also very young, did not test that well, which kills your draft position, but highly productive. 
so yeah, he was slow. He was in the four sixes. He supposedly tested even worse at his pro day. He did wasn't that explosive, but he did show production. And while he's not quite on the same level of, of an athlete as Keenan Allen, uh, Jarvis Landry, Juju Smith-Schuster, those guys did show up on his top 10 comparable players for me. So there's an outside chance he could become that sort of role. And of course, Landry was someone who was making, you know, 15 million a year. They don't have him on the roster anymore. Bringing in Bell in that position, I think, is, is fairly interesting. I mean, taking a kicker in the fourth round, don't really get that. But again, I'm not going to kill him too much. Um, and then they, they filled in around the roster there. Their first three players that they took were a cornerback, an edge player, and a wide receiver. Not great value, according to rankings, on the Martin Emerson and Alex Wright, but that's okay. And they get some value via trade. If you look at the amount of trade value that they accumulated during this, uh, throwing out Baltimore and Tennessee because they traded away wide receivers, they were third in the trade value that they accumulated trading back in this draft. So I'm going to give them some credit there. Another one for a good draft is I'm going to say the Colts. The Colts also got some good trade value. I said they did good, not necessarily great on their picks. Uh, They picked up some value trading back with the Vikings when they were able to do that. And then they got uh, offensive tackle in particular and Bernard Raymond at 77, where he was ranked 39th on the big board. So that was a bit of a value there for them. I mean, another guy where... Maybe I'm just doing confirmation bias when I'm talking about the Ravens, the Browns, and the Colts, and Chris Ballard, you know, all these all these guys doing well. But, hey, what can you do? I mean, they were seen as taking Alex Pierce at 53 and Jelani Woods at 73. They were seen as taking those a little bit early versus their big board rankings of 77 and 98. But I like both of those guys as picks in that sort of range. Pierce is an interesting guy. He blew up the combine. He's a little bit older prospect. He may be a bit one-dimensional getting down the field, but that's really what they need as a compliment to uh, Michael Pittman in that offense. And I think he might be slightly underrated because some people were overrating, in my opinion, Desmond Ritter. So I think he's an interesting dude. When I watched them play, man, he was stacking guys a lot down the field. I was surprised how, how well he was able to do that. Jelani Woods was the athletic freak at tight end. You wouldn't want to necessarily take a huge risk on a guy who's an athletic freak in the second round, in the first round. But, you know, in the third round, why not take him? And again, they got value on a tackle. They got value on a safety later on. Not using picks on running backs, not using picks on other sort of high-end sort of players, being patient and being willing to trade back. Again, their exact trade back was from, let me see here from 47, I think it was. And again, at that point, the receivers who were taken after that um, were, oh no, I'm sorry. They were, they were trading. And then, so, so, so they got the pick, they got the pick from the commanders as part of the, uh, as part of the um, Carson Wentz deal for 42 was their pick. And then they trade away that pick to the Minnesota Vikings who traded up for Andrew Booth Jr., who kind of fell, but I don't know, there might be some medical concerns with him there. So they traded 
uh, a second and fourth round selection to Minnesota, and they got back a sixth round selection, a second, a third, and a sixth. So, and th- so again, they trade back from 42, the receivers who they missed out on before taking Pierce, Wandale Robinson, John Mechie, uh, Tyquan Thornton, George Pickens. Pickens is an interesting guy, but he would be a guy that I would be interested in. The rest of those, I'm not interested in those guys at all. So taking Alex Pierce next, even though it's above Sky Moore, who I probably would have liked a little bit more, I'm not going to make too much of a decision on whether guys are right or wrong about those types of valuations. But I don't think they gave, they, they didn't really miss out, I don't think, on receiver. If they wanted to take Alex Pierce there, I think they did a good job of moving back and accumulating some value. And again, giving yourself more margin for error. And that's what teams like the Colts are going to do year in and year out to help once they can get that quarterback situation figured out, right? That That's, that's always going to be the thing for the Colts is what are we doing with that quarterback situation? All right. And the... Last team that I'm going to mention here, and this is the sneakiest one. It's the sneakiest one because they got good value on trades, but they look like they reached a ton in the draft. And that is the New York Giants. So the New York Giants, they traded back from 36 to get 38. So the only trade, you know, again, they're trading back and they're just getting only trading back two spots they pick up in a fifth round pick there that was pretty interesting with the Jets who moved up to get to Brees Hall then they move back again and they trade 38 to Atlanta to get a second and a fourth so now they've they're now they've turned that into a fourth round pick and then what they do with their second round pick is the problem, right? They take Wandale Robinson, which people hate. People absolutely hate that pick. But again, they traded back twice before making that pick. And the thing with Robinson, like he fell dramatically, maybe more than anyone else. He and David Bell fell a ton after the combine. Well, and Justin Ross too, because of medicals though for Ross fell a ton after the combine. But the interesting thing about Robinson is he didn't necessarily test that poorly in his, in his drills. I mean, he ran a four, four something 40. It's not like that bad. Right. But the thing was his arms were shorter than people maybe were hoping for. He was smaller a bit across the board than people were hoping for, but it's like, shouldn't you know these things beforehand? It seems a little bit weird to, to burst your evaluation uh, your positive evaluation just based upon those things. And Robinson was an extremely good producer. Now with this t- type of draft capital, him being a early-ish second round pick, he's going to look really good in my models. Even though, according to the numbers, and this is why this is why the Giants get killed, is that they were seen as being a reachathon in the second and third rounds. He was ninety one, ninety first rank on the big board versus being taken at 43. Their next pick, Joshua. I don't even know how to pronounce this guy's name. Sorry, guys. It was Zuda. Guard, too, which isn't great. 67 versus 169 on the big board. Cordell Flott. Don't even know who that is either. 81 versus 208 on the big board, and so on and so forth. It's almost every single pick. Now, they did get some value on getting Thibodeau at five versus his draft ranking of three, and Evan Neal at seven versus his draft ranking of two. So combining all that together, again, I'm placing the most value on teams that are accumulating some value in in draft tradebacks because of those couple of trades that 
that they were able to make, I'm going to give them some credit for that. They got a few more later round picks to potentially play, and this is a team with a lot of needs in order to move back a few slots, and that gives them a little bit more of wiggle room than you would think. And this is a team which I assume is getting universally panned as far as how well their draft grades are this this season. Uh, I know there's this there's a, here's this, here's this good piece. So there's a good piece where they accumulate all the different draft grades. Compiled by uh, Rene Bunger, Bunger, uh, about all the different things. So yeah, so if you look at the, actually, New York Giants are pretty high on here. I'm a little bit surprised here. They're sixth overall. So the Giants are up six overall, but I, I like them more for the tradebacks than for the picks themselves. I guess they had a lot of capital. Again, teams are in love with teams that have a, a ton of a ton of draft capital, and what they and what they did here. Okay, so let's go now to teams that are graded very highly that I'm questioning a bit more than some others. This is the hater edition. This is the Kevin Cole hater edition. And I'm sorry, got to hate sometimes. But again, I'm going to try not to hate too much on this. Uh, First is the Jets. The Jets are number one, according to this consensus, or tied for number one, really, with the Baltimore Ravens, according to consensus draft grades, getting at least an A- minus on every single of these 18 evaluations. This to me is really mistaking having a lot of draft capital for having a great draft. Now, unfortunately that's what happens. And our, our friend PFF underscore George, George Shahuri here got the wrath of Twitter by uh, I'll read out his tweet here, which I agree with. But again, you say these things on Twitter if it gets picked up by the wrong fan base, you're going to get crushed, especially if you're dashing the hopes of fan bases that just are feeling good for the first time in a while. Uh, so his his tweet here from George Jahuri said, this will make people mad. I like how he says that. Correct evaluation there. This will make people mad, but the Jets had a below average draft when you consider that they went into the draft with picks, with the fourth and 10th picks. Trading up, Two times, one of which was for a running back in the second round, is bad for any team, much less one with such little talent across the board. I think it's a fair assessment. Um, And I don't think he was even that hyperbolic in his – all he said was below average draft. Now, people are loving this Jets draft because they're just going to look – they're just going to scoreboard here and say, we went into the draft – and we came out of the draft with Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, Brees Hall. Those are most of the guys people are concerned about. I don't think they're really concerned about the rest of the third and fourth round picks here. They're looking at that core right there, and they said, hey, we maybe have potentially the best cornerback, potentially the best wide receiver, potentially probably the best running back, and even potentially the best edge player if Jermaine Johnson ends up paying off. So they're looking at that, and it's just high-fiving across the board there. But again, they have one of the the most substantial draft capital piles here, and they still came away with, if you're going to go through the end of the third round, they have one, two, three, four, they have five picks through the end of the third round. So it's just everything was front-loaded here. This goes to the direct opposite of the Ravens trying to accumulate third, fourth, fifth round picks to get that later talent, which may be available. And again, a roster like this does need to fill in here. Now, 
even like Sauce Gardner, was that a value to take him? I don't know. A top five pick, Sauce Gardner, to me, Stingley is more of a legitimate, yeah, I can see why this guy's a top five pick than for, for Gardner, for me, at least. Uh, Garrett Wilson at 10, that's fine. I, I have no problem there. Second wide receiver off the board, probably seen as being right in that sort of range. I'm fine with that one. That one's fine. Jermaine Johnson, again, you, you don't want to be congratulating yourself, patting yourself on the back too much for getting a player who is 20, getting a player at 26 who was the 11th ranked guy because I, again, I don't give a lot of value for steals. Um, Brees Hall, Brees Hall actually doesn't look like a, a reach according to the consensus big board, but Michael Carter was pretty good last year. Brees Hall is a guy who can do everything. Like, I mean, you you waited, you got Michael Carter at the beginning of the fourth round last year versus the beginning of the second round this year. How much difference is it going to make on your team? I mean, he can break a few long runs. Don't get me wrong. Hall's my number one guy in the draft, but it's just a little bit of a weird circumstance considering, you know, they trade, like you mentioned, they traded up two times. If you look at total trade value, again, the most important thing that I have here, they're tied for the worst number for how much they gave up, the Jaguars being tied with them. They gave up about 0.2 wins in trade value with these trade-ups that they have. So it's the opposite philosophy of these other teams I'm talking about, whether it's the Colts, the Giants, the the Ravens, the Browns, where they're building in a larger margin for error. The Jets are building in a smaller margin for error by making these these trade-ups here. So they're probably the number one team that I don't quite, I'm not quite on board with them having a great draft it was an okay draft it was okay I don't even I don't know if I'm gonna say below average probably but it's hard because I, I like again it's easier to point out mistakes than it is to point out great things for some of these drafts so they're number so they're number one I want to, number two I want to talk about is the Eagles so I think I get why people like this Eagles draft so much again they're third on the consensus here for best drafts and it's mostly based on the AJ Brown trade. So paying AJ Brown $21 million a year is not egregious. And that's what it's going to be when you calculate in the amount he was going to make in his fourth season, which is like $4 million, something like that, along with the extension of $25 million per season for the next four years. And it comes down to paying him $21 million over the next five years. But... You know, trading away a first round pick and a third round pick and paying someone $20 million, $21 million in the margin for error equation, it's not huge here. I think he's a great player. Um, I'd be more excited if he didn't have like injury issues where he's missed a handful of games, a couple of different seasons here. I'm not overly worried about that, but it's just hard for me to get super excited. About about that sort of about that sort of move, and then the Jordan Davis pick is the flip side of of the Ravens. So you look at what what they did. Let's let's break down this exact trade, and I think it's important when you break down these exact trades to get an idea of the mentality and why I'm not a hundred percent into this cutting down your margin for error. So they traded up, and. This was the first round pick, 13, of the Houston Texans that they got from the Cleveland Browns as part of the Deshaun Watson trade. So they got the 13th pick in exchange for the 15th pick. So only two slots. So just to move up two slots, they gave up a fourth round pick 
and two fifth round selections. I mean, you just like to have those picks. I don't know. And the thing is, you moved up from 15. So the Ravens took Kyle Hamilton next. So if Jordan Davis, let's say the Ravens took Jordan Davis at 14. You're still sitting there at 15. You can get Kyle Hamilton. You know, you can get, um, maybe you get a wide receiver there instead and don't trade for A.J. Brown, potentially. You get a trail on Burks, let's say, and don't pay for A.J. Brown. There's just a lot of different ways you could go there. I feel like there's still a lot of good players in that in that range where you don't necessarily have to to jump at making that move. Now, Davis could end up being a total stud. I am on board with him potentially being undervalued in this draft, but I don't want to bring my own draft evaluation into it too much, into what we're going on here. And just little trades like that to move up, I'm not in love with. Um, they didn't lose a ton of trade value outside of you know the A.J. Brown trade. It was only maybe about... 0.15 wins, but they did give that up. And to me, that's one of the, the most important things. So I'm a little bit less positive on the Eagles draft for that reason. And last draft that I'm not quite as positive on is the Chiefs, the Chiefs draft. So the Chiefs are fourth here on the consensus for best drafts. Again, it's trading up the thing that I that I value more than anything else. So the Chiefs gave up almost 0.2 wins in trading up. They were the tied for the third most given up in trade value here. And the reason that people love this draft for the Chiefs is you know, they got the positions they want, you know, they but they still they had to trade up to get Trent McDuffie. Gave up some mid-round picks for that. I know they got George Karloftis at 30 versus his big board ranking of 18. But again, I don't give as much credit. There were plenty of players who needed, plenty of teams who needed edge players between 18 and 30. Are all those teams wrong and the Chiefs are right? We don't know. Uh, they got Sky Moore at 54 versus 50. Maybe Moore isn't seen as being quite as good by the NFL as he became a darling of after an outstanding combine performance. I mean, again, I like him a lot, but I'm kind of, downgrading my own opinion on this individual player. And then you go through the rest of the picks. I mean, they did have a slew of different picks. So it was good to be able to get a linebacker, a cornerback, a guard, another cornerback uh, later on in the draft, but safety. Um, but just not, you know, not fantastic. The draft value that they accumulated by getting guys later than when they, when they were suspected to go, like Karloftis was kind of offset by taking some other guys early and then trading away those picks. Not bad. Again, I'm not saying the Chiefs had a bad draft, but how much credit do they get for Karloftis falling to them? That wasn't when they didn't trade up for him. Uh, how much credit do they get for trading up for McDuffie when they could have probably just waited for one of these other guys who look pretty good in that, in that range here? Uh, and they lost value on trades, giving up multiple fourth and fifth round picks. So give yourself a little bit less room for error there for a team that is trying to build now uh, and rebuild and restock, which is going to be a little bit tougher to do with Patrick Mahomes' cap number going up, going up so much. And now we come to the worst drafts. So cover your ears if your team has not been mentioned so far, because it's possible I'm going to get to one of these and you're not going to like it. So, the worst draft, and I don't know, I, I am going to look back a little bit on this to trades that happened before the actual draft itself because I just need to talk about it from a process standpoint. 
The worst draft, in my opinion, New Orleans Saints. And I think they're kind of a tier of their own as far as being in the worst draft. Now, the trades that they made during the draft itself, they lost about 0.15 war. So they're in the bottom five for trades that they lost during, for value that they lost during the draft. And most of it came as part of trading up to get Chris Olave from the Washington Commanders. Some people may like that. Let's see, where do they rank on the consensus for drafts? Oh, they're pretty far down. They're 25. So some people may like that, but, you know, do you need to do that versus Jamison Williams going right? You know, Jamison Williams eventually goes. I guess they would have been a little bit stuck where they were at. They wouldn't have been able to get a wide receiver. And they got Trevor Penning eventually at 19. Uh, They would have only had available to them Jahan Dotson or Traylon Burks. But still, what I don't like about the Saints, and this is why I'm going to go back to the trade before the draft also on this, is that the way they do business is not, let's see what happens. Let's lock in incremental value. Let's be humble in our plans, in our evaluations. And then as we accumulate value, over and over and over and over and over again, when you need so many different good to average players to have a functional football team, not 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 just superstar talent, but good to average players to have a great football team. I mean, think about like the Patriots dynasty. You had Tom Brady there, of course. And then around that, you have a lot of different pieces. Sometimes you had superstar talent like Gronkowski or when he, when he, was, when he was healthy or Randy Moss or Welker or on the defensive end, you obviously had some some very strong players there, uh, whether it's, you know, Rodney Harrison and so on. But you also need a lot of pieces to fill in around, to fill in everything in around. The Saints don't take that philosophy. The Saints say weeks in advance, or a couple weeks at least, in of advance of the draft, we're going to move up. And then my suspicion was they were not going to we're, we're get an extra first-round pick. My suspicion was they were not going to use that on a quarterback. I was right. And if I had to tell you two positions that I thought that they were going to draft in that first round, and the reason that they moved into that first round was that they wanted to get a wide receiver and a tackle. I would have said that, not with high confidence, but that would have been by far and away, if I was going to pick any combination of two players, two different positions that they were going to get, that would have been far and away my guess for what they were going to do. So who do they end up with? A wide receiver and a tackle, one of whom they trade up for to get. So again, they're like so locked in to this wide receiver tackle combo that they want to, that they want to invest in that they lose about two-tenths of a win in war with the trade-up initially to get into with the Eagles to get in another first-round pick. Then they lose an additional 0.15 to move up from 16 to 11 to get the wide receiver that they want. Just so, so locked in on getting these players. And again, I don't want to hit too much on player evaluation. You know, Penning is not seen as being a bad pick, according to Consensus Big Board. He is taken at 19th versus 23. But the one thing I will say about Penning is, I don't know. I, I kind of don't like the guy. <laughs> you know, I, don't like the, I don't like the cut of his jib, I guess. And if you look at him, 16 penalties last season, which was tied for second most in all of college football. And it runs the gamut as far as what his penalties were. Not a lot of run blocking holds, 
which is probably, there are a couple though that are in there, but the more concerning things for me were pre-snap penalties, just flinching a lot. And the most concerning thing for me, and I know some people like this in a player, but I think he had four, oh, maybe it was five different um, unsportsmanlike conduct penalties for just over and over again. He's taking guys, turning them and trying to smash them after the play is over during the play, getting holding calls by trying to smash these guys. Like I get it. It's a physical sport. I'm a, I'm a nerd. I'm a wimp. I don't know what it's like to be in there, but you got to turn that. You got to, you got to be able to ratchet that down a little bit. Penalties are hugely impactful in the NFL. If you're playing a position like offensive tackle where your mistakes are magnified way more than your good play, the best offensive tackle are making the fewest mistakes, meaning you're giving up the fewest sacks, you're missing the fewest blocks on run plays, or you're committing the fewest penalties. If you're just going to chalk, I mean, maybe you'll turn this penalty um, streak around, but the amount of uh, you know, EPA that he gave up on penalties was the most in, the, in college football last year because of these huge unsportsmanlike conduct penalties where you get a 15-yard penalty on a play like that, your drive is toast, okay, most of the time. Or you're getting holding penalties a lot of times because he just cannot be beat sometimes. Sometimes you got to let the guy beat you if he's going to beat you rather than taking him down because there were multiple plays that I watched where the quarterback was going to get the ball off and he, and, he, and he spun and took a guy down. So I'm a, I'm a little bit more down on that than some others there. And again, I think they didn't have that many picks because of what they do in the past, and they need a lot of stuff going on here. So they would be my worst team. Sorry, Saints fans. Uh, number two for worst drafts. Well, not number two. This is going to be – everyone's going to fall into a similar category after this. Um, first, I'm going to lean a little bit towards a team that – some people are – I've seen some praise for them coming out of this. They're 13th ranked on the consensus draft grades here. The Buffalo Bills. Now, this could be a little bit blasphemous because I know I've, I've heard some other analytic guys who like what they did here. But let me break down one trade. Now, it's not a catastrophic trade by any means, but I just want to break down the mentality behind this trade and why I don't like it. I really don't like it. And how it feeds into just giving up this incremental value for no real reason here. And that was the trade to move up from 25 to 23 to draft uh, Kair Elam. Now, Kair Elam, fine player. I understand what they're thinking here. They are at 25. They look down and they see the Chiefs traded up for Trent McDuffie at 21. They're probably looking at their board and they say, okay, we got Elam here. May, I don't know if you have Roger McCreary doesn't go in again until 35. Uh, Kyler Gordon, another cornerback, does not go until 39. Andrew Booth Jr., who was a pretty highly rated guy but may have some injury concerns, doesn't go until 42. So there's a gap there. There's a tier gap there, potentially in their minds, clearly in their minds. That's why they make this trade. But why are you locking in so much on cornerback? And... The reason I know they're locking in so much on cornerback is because they think, well, that's the piece that we need to complete here. And this is this does not come as a surprise to anyone. If you look at the Bills, like everyone knew the Bills were looking at a cornerback. I mean, there were these Brees Hall rumors that got into there. But if you look at, um, at mockdraftable.com, which collects all the different mock draft information, the Bills were mocked a cornerback 
in about half of the mock drafts, well above any other position. Second was wide receiver at only a little bit over 10%. So overwhelmingly, they were mocked cornerbacks. The top three players that they were being mocked were Andrew Booth, Kahir Elam, and Trent McDuffie. So cornerback, cornerback, cornerback for the top three players. Everyone kind of knew this is what they were doing. So if you're the Bills, everyone knows you want a cornerback. You're trading up two picks. The Ravens know that you want a cornerback. So you know that the Ravens do not want a cornerback. Or probably aren't trading back if they are in agreement with you about the teardrop sort of thing here. Right? You should be able to deduce if the Ravens are willing to trade back that they don't are willing to move out of that pick that they probably don't want that same player because they know who you want. So if they wanted a cornerback there, they're not going to move down two spots to have you take one right before them. So really, it's only one team that you're jumping in actuality. Now, you could say, well, other teams could have traded into those spots. That's fine. You know, that's always an excuse to make a trade up. You could always make an excuse for trading up. The one team that was in between them, the Dallas Cowboys. So the Cowboys were picking at um, 24. The Dallas Cowboys here, if you look at their expectations for who they were going to take, the mock draftable again, guard was number one, edge was number two, offensive tackle, defensive tackle, linebacker, cornerback not in their top needs, according to this. So, yes, someone else could have traded into that spot, and maybe you would have lost your pl- your, your player, but... It's telling you at least that the Dallas Cowboys are not, you know, the Dallas Cowboys are not looking at a player. So, you know, at least the team who is currently there. So any team that's currently there is the most likely team to end up in that spot. You know that they probably are not going to take a cornerback and they did take an offensive tackle, which fits in Tyler Smith, um, which fits into what they wanted there. So the reason I wanted to kind of painstakingly break down this thing here is that In my opinion, if the Bills stick at 25, they probably have a 90% chance of getting the player that they wanted. So for that 10% question mark, they were willing to trade up from, again, from 25 to 23. And then as part of that deal, they give up. A fourth round select, um, selection, 130. That's just a lot to give up for that one trade. So it's just things like that where I've noticed that a little bit from the Bills is that we're all praising them because the Josh Allen pick worked out, because they've had these other players who have worked out, but they're not necessarily the best when it comes to positional value. I mean, they traded up a few years back for a guard that they felt like they had to have. Um, they have drafted now, and let's go to the James Cook pick is another one I'll break down. I mean, I get it. Phil's a need. It's something they have been flashing, forecasting for a while here. They signed JD McKissick, who then backed out during the the offseason. They've been connected to Brees Hall. They take James Cook at 63. I mean, that's just way too early for James Cook, in my opinion. 199 pounds. Maybe he'll end up being a facsimile of his brother, Dalvin Cook, but he hasn't played like that in college, at least. Uh, It was a reach according to the consensus big board and the consensus big board overrates these players here. I know they're saying, oh, we can use them as another option. I mean, I'm just, is Josh Allen ever going to throw to running backs a lot? I don't know if that's the case. And this whole feeling of if we just get the right running back in there, then something great will happen. Let's remember that this is a team with 
somewhat limited draft capital at the top of drafts recently because they traded up for Josh Allen and so on. This is now their third running back in the last four years that they've taken on day two. They took Devin Singletary in the third round. They took Zach Moss in the third round. And now they've taken James Cook in the second round, in the middle of, you know, at the end of the second round, but still in the second round. I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot of draft capital to be spending on running backs. I get it. You're stacked. You're stacked as a team. You're ready to go, everything else, but less margin for error. Trying to fill exactly what you need, less margin for error, something you have to try to avoid, in my opinion. I know that's going to hurt some Bills fans. Come at me, Bills Twitter. Um, although I think you guys still got great chance. Again, this is a very incremental difference. Great chance of winning the Super Bowl. So the other the other ones, Packers, the trade-up for Christian Watson, I think is one of the worst trades uh, of this draft. If you look at Watson, like, do you need to do that? <laughs> this is like you're trading up to get at the top of a second tier of wide receiver. After Traylon Burks went at 18, no wide receivers go for a while. You trade up from 53 to 34 to get up at the top of the tier. Why not wait to see who starts going here? Like, is Christian Watson that much better than, let's look at the other receivers here. Wandale Robinson, John Mechie, uh, Tyquan Thornton, George Pickens, Alec Pierce, Sky Moore. You know, again, you were trading from... 53. So Alec Pierce went at 53. Sky Moore went at 54. I mean, I could say those two guys were the two best receivers over Christian Watson, potentially, of this group of the second tier. You're trading up into the top of a tier, and you're giving up a second round pick to do it. They gave up their 53rd pick and their 59th pick. I mean, hell, you could have gotten... Um, let me see what other wide receivers were available at that point. I guess there weren't a ton of other guys available at that point, but you could have just gotten a wide receiver. You could have gotten Pierce or, um, or sky Moore, and then picked up another player. You got needs there for the Packers. Just one of the worst trade-ups. I mean, Christian Watson, I, I get it. He's six, four and he runs really fast, but small school, older, not the most productive guy, certainly not, in my opinion, a guy that you could elevate and say he should be the top guy in that one. So for that reason, Packers, not not in love with the draft from that perspective. Uh, Quay Walker was a reach, a big reach. So that's another one where I penalize reaches more than supposed values. And that also knocks them down a bit for this draft. Okay, the last team that I'm going to say here, Jaguars, Jacksonville Jaguars, and Again, you are a team that is bereft of talent, if you're Jacksonville. Bereft of talent. And you come out of this draft with seven total selections. That's how many you, you know, every team has in this draft. Yeah, you're up, you're up front a little bit more. But the amount of money you're going to be paying to Trayvon Walker at number one, $11 million a year, I don't know how much value you're necessarily going to get out of that. You take a linebacker, Devin Lloyd. I know everyone was praising that pick, but you trade back up to take a linebacker at the end of the first round as a team that really needs a lot of things. Again, they traded with Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is sneaky, okay, drafting this one. Um, to get their 27th overall, they move up from 33rd, so they move up that seven spots. They give up 106, which is the 
first pick in the fourth round in 180. So giving up that pretty good fourth round pick to move up in order to draft a linebacker. I mean, let's look here. Devin Lloyd goes at 27. The next, I mean, next linebacker doesn't go for a while, but you got needs all over the place, man. Just stay where you are and, and, and take somebody. You could have taken any receiver at that point, someone else there. Um, a center with your, the first pick of the third round, who was ranked 116, you take him at 65. I mean, you know, another linebacker later on, like, and then a running back. I mean, geez, I don't know, man. Jacksonville, give yourself some more hope here. Uh, Accumulate picks, get a bunch of talent. Don't think you're playing with house money. If anything, you're already under uh, behind the eight ball a little bit with the fact that you're going to be paying guys like Trayvon Walker probably more than you would like to for a number one overall pick based upon what they're doing. Uh, I'm not saying you could have traded out of that. And if you think that's the best pick, that's the best pick. Fine. But then don't trade up again other times and give up money and give up free draft capital uh, and make your job that much harder. Okay. One last thing I want to discuss in this one, and that's what happened with the quarterbacks. And here's my theory. Here's my theory on the quarterbacks before, before we get out of here is that I'm going back to my musical chairs analogy. So I talked about this when it came to the trades, what'll happen. There were more chairs than I thought in the trades with the Eagles jumping in now to get AJ Brown. But uh, here's how I would look at what happened in this draft with the quarterbacks. I think they were, we were not okie doked. I think these guys were better than third round picks. Um, But the NFL right now, the real misperception is that there aren't that many teams. There aren't as many teams as there normally are who are really looking for quarterback talent. Number one, number two, I think teams are being way too overly optimistic about what will happen in 2023 in that draft and who will be available. We saw guys like Sam Howe were predicted to be the number one pick a year ago, potentially, then ends up getting drafted in the fourth round. So what happened here? So my thing is the musical chairs is there's these quarterbacks walking around the chairs, the chairs being initially teams that are ready at this point in the draft to take a quarterback. They don't, they can't see how many chairs are there. If you put your chair in as a team, you can't see who else has put their chair in. So they're walking around and midway through the first round, the Steelers put their chair in. The Steelers don't realize no one else has their chair in there. No one else is even interested at that point in taking a quarterback. They're all in wait and see mode. The quarterbacks don't realize that there's only one chair in there. So they put their chair in. Kenny Pickett sits down. That chair is taken out. And then you have Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter and Matt Corral and Sam Howell uh, Bailey's Zappy, who ends up going before Sam Howe. Uh, I won't put him in there because he wasn't going to go that early, but yeah, these other guys walking around in a circle, they're walking around at the end of the first round. They're walking around at the second round. They're walking around as we're getting into the third round. And they're like, what the heck is going in here? And you have all these teams like the Falcons, the Panthers, you know, teams that you would assume were going to be interested in a quarterback, the Lions, You have them all sitting back with their chair and they're not willing to put their chair in because they look at these guys and they say, I'm waiting for someone else to put their chair in first. And then once someone sits down, then I'll start thinking about positioning to put my chair in. And the whole second round goes by and no one's put their chair in. And so then no one wants to put their chair in. And then eventually the Falcons do. And then once they do, then eventually we see the Titans come in and put their chair down and someone sits down. And then eventually we see the Panthers trade up to go ahead and put their chair in and take Matt Corral. But I feel like that was a situation more than anything. And I, I, I like what happened for the Titans, for the Falcons, and for the Panthers. 
most of all for the Titans and the and, and the Panthers, honestly. Um, like, I just don't know where the Falcons are going for the next few years. So I'm a little bit lower on that, on, on Ritter. Even though if he comes around, I just feel like they're going to have a chance to draft a really, really, really high quarterback next year. So Ritter might be toast. But uh, Tennessee should compete this year. Um, they'll have an opening to bring in someone like Willis, who... Also with this draft capital, I don't buy the like there's not as much pressure on them angle that some people try to say. I don't buy that angle is really being a positive for a quarterback because if you're the third round pick, you know, they can just write you off after a poor rookie mini camp or they can write you off if they have a high pick going into next year and draft again in the first round. But what I do like for Willis is maybe they'll be willing to just use him as a runner a lot more as a third round pick than he would have been as a first round pick. And when it comes to Corral, like this is just a team that has a decent roster around it. And the probably the worst quarterback competition as far as Sam Darnold, someone that he could step over and he can go for. But anyway, I, I don't think the takeaway from this is the quarterbacks were way off. If anything, I think the quarterback was a pretty solid class. These guys were late first round, second round type of talent. And they fell to the third because of this dynamic of not enough chairs there, not enough teams willing to get in and everyone waiting for someone else to flinch and no one else did until the third round while they were able to pick up other types of selections. Okay, thanks everybody for tuning in. I will be at you later this week with a little bit more information on the news of the week, maybe some new angles on who are the best running backs and wide receivers from fantasy perspective. Going into this season, the best rookies you can get according to my models. In the meantime, rate, review the pod, and then until then, I'll be talking at you next week. Thanks so much, everybody. 